Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Emma Klesnick, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with American champion Emma Kolesnik about her love of card games, what it means to work on a partnership and her competitive spirit. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's give it. Hi, partner. How are you, Jocelyn? I'm fine, Catherine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I was at a tournament this week, which was super fun, and got to play a few days. And then on the last day, I took the opportunity to do a little kibitzing, which was also great. Got to see some fabulous players. But there was one hand I was quite looking forward to talking to you about. I was watching two champions playing and their opposition was a pro playing with a client. And, you know, it was a few hands in, it doesn't really matter. But the opposition had bid to a six-heart slam and it was being declared by the client. And just after the opening lead had been made, the pro, who's the dummy, says to the client, slow down. So no one's actually played a card yet. But clearly the pro is just trying to get their client to relax before they start to play. Anyway, guess what happens? No surprise. They call the director. Oh, did they? So fast. They call the director and it turns into this whole discussion about coaching at the table. Anyway, the director, the director seemed to be having it both ways. They said, yeah, you're right. You can't coach at the table, but strictly speaking, this isn't coaching. And so didn't penalize nothing. It was just so interesting. You know, the the experts were absolutely ropeable. 
I'm sorry. They were what? Ropeable. What does that mean? Angry. Okay. <laughs> Here you go with these uh, this lingo that I don't know, but but teach it to me. Okay, that's very cool. Ropeable. Yeah. They were like they were like mad bulls. I'm just going to quickly check the definition in case I've, I've used it incorrectly. In I've never case, heard it. You've never heard the word ropeable. Interesting. Maybe I'm I'm using it incorrectly here. I'm I'm going to my trusty dictionary dot com. Well, what do I know? You're you're um usually very reliable on these matters. Ropeable. Oh, guess what? It is an Australian slang. I didn't know that. Wild or intractable, a ropeable beast. <laughs> Adjective. I, I just thought it was common parlance. Well, there you are. See, we learn stuff on this podcast. We do. We learn Australian, what would you call it? Patois? Or. <laughs> yes. That's right. That's right. Australian jargon. Yeah. Specialized Australian vocabulary. Brought to you by Catherine. <laughs> okay. The experts, they were steaming mad infuriated steaming mad steam coming out of their ears yes yes why well they they felt that the pro was coaching their client and that that shouldn't be allowed and that the director had not ruled in I was going to say in their favor against the action that they should they felt there should have been some penalty so it didn't actually bear on it wasn't like in the middle of the hand it was literally before this person had played a card and here's the thing is I think technically they're right what if instead of saying slow down, the the pro had said deep breath or something like that? Like yeah. something maybe, I don't know why I feel like that might have even been less innocuous. I'm just trying to think about something that was even more innocuous than saying slow down. Well, slow down is about the mechanism of the card being played. And so I can see what you mean, that if you say take a breath, it's about the internal state of the player, not so much an action at the table. Although I think it was intended to be the state of the player. I mean, I'm I'm imagining that the pro was just trying to help steady their partner. And it seems like, yes, you shouldn't be getting that kind of coaching from your partner. Dummy needs to be completely silent. But I'm just wondering, like, what would have been okay? Well, I think probably really nothing would have been okay. Nothing would have been okay. Not even take a breath. Yeah. Deep, deep breath. Um, yeah. Good luck, partner. <laughs> That's loud, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, um, yeah, of course, nothing was meant by it. And it didn't actually bear on anything specific. But you're not meant to do it. And yet I do feel that part of the reason... Let me put it a different way. If they had been equal level pros sitting in opposition, I suspect that there wouldn't have been as much furor about it because, you know, when you've got those people that are more equally weighted around the table, they almost accord each other more respect. For sure. Like, yeah. Didn't you tell me like there's all kinds of chit chat going on when you've kibitzed at major national events? There's been weird stuff that you wouldn't have thought was allowed with joking and, and this, that and the other. So that is interesting. And I wonder if the pro, I wonder if there was one pro in particular who knew that they had a clever, devious way of foiling Declarer and they didn't want Declarer to think about things 
because maybe then they would go through all the steps, counting their tricks and figuring out what they could do with their losers and trying to think about, you know, all the things. And maybe at some point in that list of things you're supposed to do, there would be something that would go that would make the play the declarer say, aha, mm. I need to not be foiled by X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah. So it was essentially heads up. Yeah. Heads up. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think they were obviously perfectly within their rights to call a director. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it did seem to be an intersection of a couple of interesting points. And as you were talking too, I thought, oh, also, I wonder if they had history with that pro as well. Like maybe he had form. I don't know. Interesting. Yes. Yes. Food for thought. Food for thought. Jocelyn, it's the holiday season. Indeed, Catherine. The festive season. And nothing makes me feel more festive than giving gifts. You mean like that gift I gave our ops recently when I trumped your winner? Hmm, maybe not quite like that. So if you feel like giving your bridge partner or friends a gift that they'll appreciate, take a look at some of the fun items in our Sorry Partner merch store. We've got mugs, magnets, coasters, totes, t-shirts, notebooks, and many other items. Or consider giving the gift of a Sorry Partner membership. Benefits include bonus audio and other perks like stickers and milestone shout-outs. You'll also be supporting the show, which is a gift to us. So it's like two gifts for the price of one? Exactly. How do people support the show? You just go to our website at sorrypartner.com, click support the show, and take it from there. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. On the theme of teaching moments, I found a letter in our mailbag from Midge from Pennsylvania who voices one of our promos. Oh, Midge. Yeah, Midge. Hey, Midge. Oh. Midge writes to us, last week at the local club, we had our monthly mentor-mentee game. My right-hand opponent opened a heart and their partner responded two clubs. Opener rebid two hearts and the responder hesitated. She then asked her partner, her mentee, so she was the mentor, to see his convention card, explaining to the table that they hadn't had time to discuss what kind of blackwood they were using. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Everyone else looked quite surprised and explained that the convention card was for the use of the opponents only. She went on to bid blackwood and then six hearts. There was a bad trump split and a finesse was offside, so they were down one. Kind of satisfying. And a teaching moment, I guess. Midge. Uh, Yeah. I mean, when there's a mentor-mentee game, unless there are special rules that apply, I would think has to be strict, strict, strict about protocol. And you can't be doing that. No, absolutely. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And especially the mentor should not be doing that. The mentee, I could sort of maybe see my way around that but the mentor not exactly modeling ideal behavior no 
Well, speaking of not modeling ideal behavior, we have heard from Louise. Louise says, I've only been playing bridge for five years, but she tries to practice every day and has regular lessons. Unfortunately, she's used to being abused by cruel, cowardly players online. And she writes about one particular example. I was playing in an eight board tournament on BBO where you're allocated a real player to partner for one hand and my right hand opponent bid one heart. In direct seat, I had 12 points, five very nice clubs and a singleton heart. And so I bid two clubs. Fair enough. Left hand opponent passed and so did my partner. So here I was with a two club contract. All of a sudden, a message pops up to the table which simply said, why two clubs? Nothing, to which I ignored. I counted my cards again and after assuring myself that I was okay to bid two clubs, I started to concentrate on the game at hand. When dummy went down, I was surprised to see that my partner had 10 points and nice diamonds, a few good spades and a void in clubs, so I was very disappointed they hadn't bid. I clicked on their profile to find out more about them and it came up that they were an expert. Mm. I had little chance of making the contract. Anyway, during play, another message popped up on the table. Two clubs is nothing, you idiot. And then a few minutes later, another message, go away and study, idiot. I wonder if that was after the hand because she says she was just allocated a partner for one hand. So it must have been after they must have private messaged her. I ignored all the abuse and at the end of the tournament, I played solitaire for a while. When all of a sudden, another private message popped up. Don't play idiot until you know the game. Go away and study. Oh, my God. I know. I couldn't believe this person had pursued me past the tournament and taken the time to continue his abuse. Seeing red, I did the unthinkable. Yes, I replied. And I wrote, go and stick your head up a dot, dot, dot. I won't say what. I don't know why I conjured up that image, but it worked. I didn't hear from them again. I must admit that it was also therapeutic. Love your show. Cheers, Louise. Mm, trollish behavior, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I must say, you know, Jocelyn, I'm always um, very entertained by all the comments that I see on Online Bridge and I'm often taking photographs of them with the person who wrote them, people. So, you know, let them <laughs> a warning to you. But, yeah, people do write unbelievably nasty things. Anyway, Louise, yeah. I hope that you, you felt a degree of satisfaction sharing your thoughts with that person and I'm glad that they left you alone and I hope you haven't had to deal with too much of that since. Awful, awful behavior. And besides, someone with a club void and 10 plus points and a nice suit that they can bid is allowed to bid. Right. And if they were a past hand particularly, there's no reason to think that the two club bidder is forced to bid again. Right. Right. So expert my beep. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's infuriating. It's obviously one of those situations that we've heard about from experts when you know you've screwed up. And that's when you're most likely to be mean to partner. When it's really, you know, deep down that it's because of something that you did. Yeah, though I think and you're being I, generous, I have just feel- like because, because... No, I have a feeling that's what this person was was having a problem with that and they can't deal with it. Yeah, but they kept coming back after the game yeah. and after well, the game. because they're abusive <laughs> and they're troll. Right. And it is, it is really horrible. Well, you may wonder, you may not wonder why I never play pickup games online. And this is why. Because it is just not worth it. Mm. I'd rather play solitaire or with the robots, even mm. though they cost me some money. 
then do this because it's just, it's infuriating when you haven't done anything wrong and you get abused like that by some anonymous schmuck. Yeah, absolutely. Who has only themselves to blame. Thanks for writing, Louise. <laughs> we could go on and on and on, but let's leave it at Our next letter is also on the theme of revenge, and this is from Anonymous in San Francisco. Mm. Mm. My partner and I were playing at the Nationals in the first day of the Life Master pairs. Forty pairs would qualify for day two. The rest were out of the event. On the first board, the ops were bidding and we were silent. In the pass-out seat, my partner asked a question about one of about-to-be-dummies bids. I had a problematic hand to lead from, so I was pondering my lead and only halfway listening to the conversation. I decided on my side suit doubleton ace as the least problematic lead and put it down, dropping Declara's stiff king. Declara screamed, literally, for the director. It turns out I led the suit that my partner was asking about, which I didn't even realise when I chose it. My partner told the declarer, as did the director, that he is allowed to ask questions before he passes. Declarer insisted in a very nasty manner that she wanted protection, to which my partner asked, protection from what, as my lead didn't cost her anything. They argued and the director was called back repeatedly. I stayed out of it, but the woman was so nasty. My partner and I were both disgusted that she was accusing us both of cheating. Him for supposedly asking a lead directing question and me for supposedly acting on it when my lead didn't matter at all. The director finally told everyone to shut up and play. (laughs) (laughs) The result on the board was normal and average. So here comes the punchline, revenge part one. On the second board, my partner declared and the nasty person misdefended and let him make it. Great score for us. Ooh, yay. (laughs) And revenge part two, eaten very cold. We easily qualified for day two. The nasty person not only didn't make the cut, but was 41st, missing out by one spot and a fraction of a master point. We cackled with glee. (laughs) That would have been fabulous, yes. I completely feel your pleasure. Oh, wow. Yes. 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 And our last letter today is from Carol in Arizona. After beginner lessons at our HOA, which I think must be Homeowners Association, Mm -hmm. we would play several hands in order to learn more about duplicate play. The instructor director had taught us to always count our cards before playing. On about the fourth round of play, one player discovered that she was short a card. We all spent time looking for it, but to no avail. The next day at a regular game, Clarence came up to the director and handed her a card. He explained that he'd found it when he took his pants off. (laughs) Oh, dear. I don't I don't know that we want to play with that card anymore, do we? I I don't think so. (laughs) We had a good chuckle, but the game was about to start. So she sent Clarence off to be north at table eight. Several rounds had passed when the north player at table seven hollered at the director that she was missing a card. I know where it is. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the shock looks the director got when she yelled out, Okay, Clarence, drop your drawers. Oh, boy. Poor Clarence. Oh, my God. What was he doing with that? <laughs> so if you have any fun stories about mentor-mentee, a.k.a. pro-am game, 
gone awry or perhaps abused by cruel and cowardly online trolls or perhaps a nice revenge story, revenge best served cold, or finally about trousers hiding cards. Please do send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram, or you can send us a voice message. These links are all in the show notes and on the website at sorrypartner.com, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Emma Kolesnik. And note, this episode comes with bonus audio for our Patreon supporters. American champion Emma Kolesnik is a star on the rise. She played for USA 1 in the women's at the 45th World Bridge Championships, won the women's USA trials for the 2020 Junior World Championships, placed third in the 2020 ACBL Collegiate Bowl, fifth in the women's at the 2019 European Transnational Championships, and was a member of the USA Junior Women's Team at the 2018 Rona Cup Junior World Championships. We began by asking how she learned to play. I first learned to play when I was around like seven or eight years old, just at home. I was lucky my parents are both good bridge teachers, so it was really fun. I played in a couple club games when I was around that age, and unfortunately had pretty negative experiences. <laughs> so I didn't start doing um, competitive contract bridge really seriously until I got to like early high school, late middle school, when I started playing in the youth NABCs. And when my brother started playing, we both got into it together. It's nice to have another young person in the game with you, um, especially when you're starting out. Some people that we've spoken to whose families are very involved in bridge feel a little resistance to joining the family firm. Did you have any of those feelings? Um, so I actually didn't as much. My brother definitely had more so, but I honestly, I've always been a person who's really, really loved games and loved playing card games at home. So really the only thing with bridge was when I'd played, I think I was so young that I just like people were weirdly really mean to me at the club. And so I had this perception of bridge as being full of like really mean people. But Overall, with my family, actually, I really have to thank, like, especially my mom, like she was so like wonderful and such a great teacher that she always made it such a fun game to where I was always really excited to play. But definitely with my brother, I think he was resistant since I'd sort of already learned first. So it was always tough to get the fourth person at home since we did need all four of us to play. So that always took more like bribery or whatever. <laughs> like, we'll play two hands of bridge and then we can play some like other game or something. It's <laughs> more fun, but... <laughs> What was so negative about the experience at the club, your first forays? Well, bizarrely, people were actually really mean to me. Like, I think, I mean, I'd obviously never played in a competitive tournament before, like even a club game or anything like that. And so, you know, I think maybe I was like a little slow on an auction or like didn't know how to answer a question about an alert. And I remember some guy like really almost like yelling at me about like, why would, you know, why would you come and play here? If you, <laughs> I started crying, actually, and it was pretty hard to get for my parents to convince me to finish out the session. I think it was the second club game I'd played in the first time was fine, maybe like a little nerve wracking. But then the second time people were really quite mean. So it was, it was really bizarre. I mean, I can't imagine acting that way towards like a eight year old girl at playing one of her first times playing bridge. I really, you know, and it's bizarre to me now, even like playing, I'm like, I would hope that none of the people I know in the bridge community would ever act that way. And I don't think that they would, but 
I guess sometimes people just get in a very competitive mindset and can't like, I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah, that was basically my first experience playing competitive bridge, which I think shows why it's so important to create really positive environments, especially club games and stuff like that. Because it's obviously in theory should be intuitive to like be nice to a little kid playing for the first time. But it's also important to be nice to adults playing for the first time and make sure they have a positive experience, especially since we all want the game to grow and continue to have people playing. And it's so much more fun when everyone's nice and friendly, since we're all here in theory, because we love the game. So there's no reason to be so negative, I think. And your parents were there with you? Yeah, I believe I was playing with my mom, um, who I think was, you know, definitely sort of talked back to the guy and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is, you know, that's her first time playing. Like, this is crazy, you know, and the guy, like, I think the opponents ended up calling the director, actually, which just made me more anxious. So it was a very bizarre situation. <laughs> yeah. What's the most memorable experience you've had playing bridge? Honestly, it's tough to say. I've had a lot of big tournaments, which are always exciting. Like the stress level is a lot higher. Like I think my first time playing at the U.S. Junior Trials, I think. No, it seems so like nothing now. It definitely was like my first time playing with screens and everything like that. And then going to my first Junior World Championships also was probably one of the more memorable ones where I, that was my first time thinking like, oh, wow, I might actually get pretty seriously into this game and like you know, starting to meet some of the people and like hear some of the names that, you know, are now people that I'm maybe like even friends with. But at the time, certainly it was sort of my first introduction into that environment and community. So probably my most memorable to date. Was there a particular place that you've played that was also particularly memorable? I have so many places at this point. I think that Bridge has really allowed me to combine my love for traveling with my love for card games. So any of the European championships I've been to have all been in wonderful locations. Even getting to go to China, like Shanghai, Suzhou region was amazing. So I definitely feel like through the international tournaments I've been to, like Istanbul, I was in Norway and Oslo for one of the tournaments. Places like that, I think, have been, or even just recently being in Poland, you know, getting to some really fun traveling. When you're at a tournament, do you have any mental tools that you use to help you to focus or to deal with difficult situations maybe at the table? Yes. I try to really focus on my breathing and making sure I'm in a positive mental space always. I think that that's really, really something that's important. Something I also can definitely struggle with. I definitely can get kind of anxious at the table or like, you know, your emotion can be very high sometimes, especially at more difficult, high stress tournaments. So I really try to work on always making sure that I'm taking deep breaths, taking a moment to focus. I can't overstate how helpful it is to sometimes just stand up from the table and go grab a glass of water. So often, you know, you're in that space where you're like, so focused and something goes wrong, and it can be really hard to recover. And sometimes you can try to push past it and play the next hand. But usually I find if I just like get up, take an extra couple seconds to just like, go back to kind of an equilibrium point that that really, really helps. I think that going into the next hands, like upset or focused on the previous hand is never a great idea if it can be avoided. Much harder in practice, I think, than just saying that. But I think, you know, definitely having like some water and trying to take some deep breaths is one of the most helpful things for me. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, 
Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How do you like to unwind after a tournament? Usually, I like to just have like some relaxing days. In the past year or so, I really, I've been doing so much nonstop travel that I, I might even say like, you know, just jumping into a next trip is like what I oftentimes end up doing. But I think having just like a couple of days to decompress. I also do really like going over all the hands from a tournament, I think, to help me sort of like fully finish the tournament. I want to make sure that I've discussed everything, like learned from all of the like mistakes that I've made gone over any like tough problems I might have had. So I like to make sure I've actually discussed everything that I wanted to discuss about a particular tournament with a partner. And then I can move on and get back to day to day. (laughs) Thinking about a regular partner, what might they say is your particular strength at the table? I'd probably say maybe my demeanor. I think this is something my regular partner, Amber Lynn, and I both have talked about a lot where um, having a partner who isn't gonna like yell at you if something goes wrong or can stay very composed and is like nice and supportive makes a really, really big difference for my own game. I know that makes a difference. So I really try to be that person for other people as well, where I'm always have a pretty positive attitude and like I'm focused, but I also am a nice partner. So I think that that's probably one of the things that my partners would comment on. But other than that, definitely can be very focused. So I like to like chit chat, but I also don't you know, I also like to make sure I'm focused on the hands, especially some of my partners. I can be a little bit on the slower side, so there's not necessarily too much time to chit chat and everything. What would your regular partners say is maybe an area that they'd like you to work a little harder on, perhaps? I think at this point, honestly, with my main regular partner, Amber, I feel like at this point we've worked through all of the things we would have liked each other to, to work on. Yeah, for, for the two of us, it's a pretty easygoing partnership at this point, since I think we have the same goals. We're very in it on every hand. Like we both are people who will try to think about every single trick that's played, even if it's a simple hand, think hard about it and make sure that we're doing the best thing we can. Overall, we have a pretty nice relationship. We're good friends and stuff too. So it's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. You said that you've already had those conversations and worked on all the things you want to develop. How would you have those conversations? I think really just talking about the things that make 
me play my best game or vice versa for her where it's like, okay, what kind of comments would be helpful? Is there anything after a tough hand that I could say or not say that would make you feel better? You know, if you seem upset, is it helpful for me to go get a glass of water or just smile and make a joke, you know, to where you kind of know what's going to make them feel better in moments where they need to feel better or, you know, in high pressure situations, making sure that we're like good support systems for each other and like know that we're on the same team, um, regardless of what's happening at the table. So I mean, I think really, a lot of it's been experience based of just we've played something's happened, or we've had something we've talked about it. So I think just making sure you have a lot of dialogue and communication about what things you like or like don't like. But obviously, most of the conversations that we have about the table are small carding things <laughs> and stuff like that, where it's like, oh, I would rather you give, you know, soup preference in this situation or like what kind of signaling applies. And, you know, so like random stuff like that's the majority of what we talk about. I think we're both pretty easygoing people, thankfully. So it's pretty easy in terms of actual like personalities. I've certainly played with more difficult partners, but thankfully at this point, I don't really have any difficult partners. How long have you been playing with Amber? We've been playing together since juniors. We first played together at the very end of 2017. So like since 2018, we've been playing together. And how did you come together? Just being on the junior team together and... Yeah. So I played my first junior trials for the women's juniors that December in 2017. And then I was actually had been asked to be on like a different team from from Amber. She was on sort of the team of the more like experienced people. And my team was made up of all newer players. It was my first time playing in a trials. I'd randomly been asked at the youth and ABC to like join a team. And there was actually only two teams competing. <laughs> so we played a three day match. We lost miserably, but I was one of the people added on to Amber's team. And at the time, she'd had a partnership with Isha Thapa, who is another junior women's player. And I had a different partner. Um, we were six-handed. And then early in 2018, Isha actually got a concussion. So she wasn't going to be able to go to the actual Junior World Championships in the summer. So that was when Amber and I started playing together and forming a partnership so that we'd be able to play that summer at the World Championships. And then pretty much from there, we hit it off and basically been playing ever since um, and have like worked on our systems and stuff. But that was the starting point, at least of it all. And throughout this time, have you ever needed to have a coach come in and help with your interpersonal communication about the partnership? Or have you really just managed to, to take care of, of that between the two of you yourselves? On the interpersonal communication side, I think we've really just been fine, the two of us. In terms of like actual partnership coaching with Bridge, we've really, really benefited from outside help there. Kevin Rosenberg has been like a really, really big person on that front where I don't even know how many hours we've spent at this point, just like going over hands after tournaments. So he's been a really, really big help. There's also been a number of people through the junior training program that have helped with partnership mentoring for the two of us that have been really great. Like Mike Passell was an early on person who helped us. And then also just like my dad um, and then Finn, my brother, have been helpful and Debbie and Michael Rosenberg, obviously also really, really helpful. So there's been a lot of people through junior training. Kent McNiochi was our junior training mentor. So we've had been really, really lucky to have a lot of really amazing people help us. That's been really, really invaluable, I think, especially with card play and everything like that. So thinking back to when you first learned to play, do you have a sense of when you went from being someone who played bridge to being a female bridge player or a player who plays on the women's team? 
So I don't know that I've ever had like a moment where I've like defined myself that way necessarily. I mean, in my ideal world, we wouldn't think about bridge players in that way so much of like women's events. I mean, I've obviously been really lucky to get started playing women's events, especially with the junior women's program. I think it's been really awesome. And I had an amazing time representing the US on the US women's team. So obviously, there's been a lot of accessibility to women's events for me and to play at them. And I'm super happy about that. You know, at this point, I outside of like trials and championships, and even then just because you know, obviously the highest probability of getting to represent the U.S. would be on the women's team or on the mixed team. So I focus, you know, more energy to those and I'm more likely to get added to good teams for those. But otherwise, in general, I tend to, I support women playing open events, especially since they tend to be like at nationals and things like that. Slightly, I don't want to say higher caliber of events, but I would say are taken more seriously by a lot of people in the bridge community. And that's not to discredit any women's players at all, um, just that the events are have gotten a little bit smaller with women's bridge. You know, obviously my goals for the game would be just being a top player in general and not being considered so much like a top women's player, though I also understand that being considered a top women's player happens for women players before being considered a top player oftentimes is sort of the path there. So, yeah. Emma, What's the biggest schlamozzle or muck-up that you've ever made at the table or failing that that you've witnessed someone making? I've certainly had a number of them. There was one hand. I would say this is maybe one of the more embarrassing things that's happened. I was actually playing with Amber at the Omaha, Nebraska Regional, which is one that's well-known as one that Bill Gates and Warren Buffett attend. And we were actually at the regional playing on the team with Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, and we were actually playing against about at our table was Bob Hammond. So obviously this is a moment where we're like, you know, a little bit mildly starstruck. Um, <laughs> and Amber and I ends up having some auction that went just completely off the rails pretty much to get to, I believe six snow off. I don't even know how many caching tricks. Um, maybe five or six caching tricks. It was, you know, not a good spot. And I remember we were both just looking at each other after the hands, like, oh my God, what's happened here? We're playing against one of the like top players in the world. And instead of, you know, making like a really memorable impression of doing something brilliant, you know, we get to some six no without key carding off multiple aces and <laughs> like a whole suit basically. So <laughs> did Bob say anything to you after that? I hand? don't think he did, actually. No, I think, you know, there's just maybe a little bit of a chuckle around the table with with me and Amber as well. So, But he was very, very nice. He's a nice guy. As far as your social circle, do you mostly spend your free time with bridge players or with people who don't play? Actually, kind of a mixture. So obviously with like my brother Finn playing professionally now. And then, you know, I'm spending a lot of time in the bridge community, but in general, probably actually more time with people who don't play bridge. Um, I actually work a full-time job. What is your job? Oh yeah. I work full-time as a project manager for Microsoft. So that definitely cuts into some of the time. And then my friends in college are still like some of my closest friends. And so in I've taught most of them bridge, but none of them play like seriously or competitively really. So I would say still the majority of people I spend time with are not bridge players, but within the last maybe like a year, 
as COVID's eased off and we've gotten to travel more, I feel like I've definitely, and since, you know, winning the women's trials, definitely getting to travel with a lot of players and getting to like meet more top players. I definitely would consider more of them my friends now and, and some, and some of my really, really close friends. So it's been really nice actually getting to be more incorporated into kind of the bridge community. Since Is there an issue in bridge that's really important to you? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely for me, the intersection of bridge and then a lot of social issues that I feel really passionately about has definitely been something that I feel very strongly about and think that there's still a lot of progress that needs to be made. Um, Like some of those would be just like women in bridge in general and representation of women in bridge, as well as, you know, a lot of stuff regarding racial diversity and equity in bridge in general. Bridge as a game is particularly within the ACPL, is not necessarily the most diverse, welcoming group of people, particularly to women and minorities. And I think that it's important that we create a game that's inclusive and welcoming to everyone. And so I definitely feel very strongly about that and try to do what I can to help that be the experience that we're living. Even within the junior training program, Amber and I have both, along with some other junior players, set out guidelines for juniors as well as like um, how mentors are meant to interact with them, you know, looking at protecting young women in the bridge community, which is a group of people that oftentimes are not awarded the utmost respect and do get a lot of sexual harassment and inappropriate comments being made, you know, sometimes every single time they play. Oh, but they're just joking, aren't they? They don't mean anything by it. (laughs) And you're being a little sensitive, aren't you? (laughs) Exactly. No, exactly. You know, you hear stuff like that and you're like, I always just look at people incredulously where I'm just like, what are you talking? You know, it's like, it feels like conversations that we've had and that were had in like corporate America and in America in general and globally, like decades ago. And it's sort of like, this has not been an appropriate thing to do or say anywhere in society for literally decades. And I don't know what planet you're on, but I don't know, you know, to me, it's just, it's, it's just mind boggling that people act the way that they do. I mean, I mean, not that we don't see sexism in a lot of areas still, but I, I just, in, in bridge, I think that we, we are certainly many, many decades behind where mainstream society is at this point, which is disappointing, I think. But I also, thankfully, a lot of people are very motivated to changing that and getting bridge a little bit more with the times. And I think certainly among like the expert level, I'm optimistic that people are realizing what a big issue this is and how limiting it can be just for the game in general to not have equal opportunities for young female players. I think it makes the game worse for everyone in the long run. I think that you can see in, you know, I mean, statistically, certainly, you know, if you look at almost any area, once women were given equal opportunities and equal access to like education and mentorship, et cetera, that usually the the overall level of whatever thing you're talking about goes way up. I think overall competitive bridge will be better for more top female players being in it. And the level of play will go up once that happens as well. Um, And it'll have a positive effect on everybody. I think that sometimes it can be hard to see it that way, but I think that it's also definitely a reality that I hope we see soon that we get over not just what I would consider like almost stupid things that a lot of women face the bridge table, sexist comments being made, you know, like offensive comments being made, even more harassment type things, also creating a environment where it's like 
if something like that happens that players are expected to speak up or like call the director. I mean, at this point, I have no qualms whatsoever about if someone says something offensive to me or my partner immediately just calling the director and saying like, this is unacceptable. I can't be expected to play bridge against people that are acting this way. It's not, you know, that would be insane for me to do that. (laughs) And I think that that level of zero tolerance for that kind of behavior is necessary. And a lot of it, I think, is just dialogue around an issue. I would, I think a lot of dialogue has already occurred around women in bridge, enough so that I'm disappointed when I see top male players acting in ways or not calling out behavior from other male players that I find very inappropriate. I think that they should be doing better. Thankfully, I think there are a lot of male players and certainly a ton of top female players that are really like championing this and making a real difference. Um, But yeah, we certainly have a very, very long way to go. Yeah, (laughs) in a lot of areas with bridge, but Can I just say right on, just right on. Thank you so much for for saying all that. That's just fantastic. Bravo. Yeah, it's a really, really important topic. And I I hope, as with most things, that the issue is lack of education and awareness. And I think that especially when you've created a field where the top level is mostly men that, you know, you don't have a lot of people that are even know to call out other people and they don't even see it because it doesn't even occur in front of them that often. Or even just like the number of people where have said things like, well, I just have no idea why there aren't more like top female players. And you're like, what do you mean you have no idea? Like clearly it has to do with like lack of mentorship and opportunities and like things doing to promote women's bridge and have an inclusive environment for young women playing, you know, women don't want to do, especially young women don't want to do activities where there's no other young women and the young men that are doing that are horrible to them and all hitting on them. And the only reason they seem to be there is to be like something, you know, in quotes, nice to look at for all of the young male players. That's not a very positive, welcoming environment. And we can't really blame young women for not really wanting to, you know, include themselves in it. So I think to me, it seems pretty obvious why there aren't more women right now at the top of the game. And I think it also is, there's some pretty clear cut things we can do that's changing that, that I'm hoping are being done. What are some ways that players can demonstrate that they are allies for people that they feel might feel less comfortable for various reasons at the club? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of it is especially if you're a person who feels comfortable in a space, making sure that you're hyper aware of things that might be done that make other people uncomfortable. I feel like a lot of it is even like silent things done to create culture where it's like, okay, simple things like if, you know, just like saying hi to everyone equally at the table, or if like, for example, a male female partnership comes up and sits down at your table and you have a question that you might want to ask that you don't just direct it towards the man at the table and that you're, you know, asking both people and that, and again, a lot of it is hard because a lot of it does come from just like internal views about women and how you treat women generally day to day in society. And unfortunately, I think a lot of bridge players at the club or in any situation in their life are not treating women necessarily with respect in any area of their life, I would imagine. But I think just overall making an extra point to one model the behavior as well as call out people that aren't modeling that behavior because I think that sometimes we underestimate how much power it has when as a person who isn't the minority like for example like a top male player sitting at the bridge table 
and some level of harassment happens towards a woman that they don't know at the table. It's very easy to be silent in those situations, but if you're not and you do say something, it rates to make a much, much larger impact. You know, like we have talked about this at like sexual harassment trainings at work even where it's like if some guy makes a super sexist and appropriate joke, one of the most effective things that another man in that group can do is just not laugh and kind of call the person. Why is that funny? Why, you know, what, what, what's a joke? I don't get it. You know, that can be one of the most powerful things where it's like, you almost make the person think, oh, if if this person is going to call me out that I respect, like clearly I'm doing something wrong. And so I think it's, there is kind of a burden and there should be on people that aren't the ones experiencing the discrimination to be looking for it and call out other people. You know, I think certainly that that would be a good start as well as things like, I would like to see the ACBL, for example, have trainings for directors and a part of the director training be things in sexual harassment and just adding in things like that to the curriculum necessary to be a club director or to be running a club or, you know, any variety of other things, again, can make a really big difference. I mean, a lot of this, again, is lack of education. Having a flyer on the door next to, you know, where they have everything Something saying like, these things are not appropriate. These are things that we, you know, are unacceptable, zero tolerance behaviors. Please call them out when you see them in a place where everyone will notice it. Having announcements at the beginning of club games saying, this is a welcoming environment to everyone. The goal here is to have a really fun game. Please, if anyone's acting way it's inappropriate, let us know. We have a zero tolerance policy. And if there's multiple strikes against you at this club, you will not be invited back to play. I think having really strict rules like that that are actually enforced, that are well broadcasted to where people know, I think that that's kind of the only way you can do it, or at least is a good starting point for how you can like make people feel like, okay, this is a space where my rights and my enjoyment of the game is being considered and like protected. And I am not in a space where I'm vulnerable to people just saying all sorts of like inappropriate stuff to me and there's nothing I can do about it (laughs) because, you know, that's how a lot of times people feel, you know, which is really hard. So That's great, Emma. Thank you for that. That's wonderful. Do you have a favorite bridge convention or gadget? I have a couple. I definitely, I love playing transfers over, transfer responses to one club openings. That's been a staple in my systems with most of my partners at this point that I really, really like. I think that it can be a nice system because it's not so different from two over one that it is unnecessarily you know, not natural, but it also is a nice, adds a little bit of technical precision, I think, to your game, as well as can create some nice variance from your results at other tables, just in terms of siding contracts differently and stuff like that. I also am a big fan of Gazilli. Um, I know that's maybe a more controversial one, but I definitely like it. Um, I'm a big fan. I think it's really, really helpful. Yeah, I tend to like methods like that, where they're still mostly naturalish, or they're like more gadget based, but that you can show distributional hands. I think that being able to show your distribution is really undervalued in a lot of systems and, you know, knowing where shortness is or if someone's five, five can be really, really huge. So definitely a big fan of Gazilli. <laughs> and are there any conventions that you really just don't like? There aren't too many. I try not to, to judge people too much because I think most of them, it's, it just depends on your overall system. So there's not too many that I'm, you know, wouldn't play. I don't love puppet statement after a two no opening is one of the things that I I probably wouldn't play with most partners. I also personally am not the biggest fan of Bergen raises. I tend to like to keep some of those three level bids either like natural invitational 
And I find that having to know is like a limit raiser better in response to a major opening, I found to be really helpful. So then that allows you to kind of eliminate the need for Bergen, basically, because you can still have one major, three major be a mixed raise, a four card mixed raise. So I definitely like I like that. I think by doing that instead of Bergen raises, I would almost always rather but I'm not so against them that I wouldn't play them if a partner insisted, but I, I tried. I try to avoid them. <laughs> Why don't you like puppet Stamen over two now? I think that it's more of a winner to have to be able to just like play it normally and have Smolin in there and stuff like that. I think I I personally prefer. I would say I think it's like again, it's not. There are a lot of conventions exist for a reason. I understand why people might like puppet Stamen. I think it's I think it's a little stronger to play it the other way personally though. What's the best bridge advice or tip that anyone's ever given you? Actually, I think it came from my best friend who is not a bridge player. One night after I had had a really, really tough day of bridge, I called her pretty much like crying, just really upset. And she said, you know what, Emma, the only reason you play bridge is because you love the game. You love the game of bridge. And that's that's the reason you play is because you love it. And regardless of anything else, if you ever stop loving it, you don't have to play anymore. You're choosing to play bridge every time you play. And so you might as well enjoy it. And that really stuck with me where it's like, you know, ultimately I am playing this game because I love it. I love playing card games. I find it so fun. I think the game's really beautiful. And just from an intellectual perspective, I think it's so interesting. And so anytime, you know, there's a tough hand or I get something wrong, I do try to really focus on that and think about that where you know, I obviously, I love to win. I hate to lose. Both of those are true. But also I'm playing the game because I love it and I think it's fun. And so at the end of the day, just reminding myself of that as much as possible, I think has been a big help to my bridge game and just, you know, allowing me to chill out a little bit <laughs> sometimes at the table. Emma, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great talking to you. Emma, thank you so much. It's been just a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really wonderful. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Emma Kolesnik. Thank you also to our Sorry Partner Posse of listener supporters who make the show possible. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso and Jay Gray. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at Sorry Partner Podcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. You'll get a monthly newsletter, bonus audio from time to time, and other supporter benefits. These links and a link to our discount offers and merch store are under the episode description in your app, on the website at sorrypartner.com, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next time, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Emma says, you're playing the game because you love it. So have fun and enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you, partner. Thank you for all the fun, partner. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.